Hey everyone, before today's episode begins, we just want to put out a quick content advisory warning. Um, there is a lot of mature topics being discussed today, including substance abuse and death. There will also be um, some language. Please be aware of this before you begin the episode, especially if you have little ears um, listening along with you. Hey everyone, welcome to Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. And we want to thank you for being here today. So um, we're in the midst of talking about our lives and our grief and all the things that make us qualified, quote unquote, to <laughs> have this podcast. Um, our, our grief badges, if you will. And so... Uh, we're, today we're going to talk, we're going to have Jamie share her story. Um, I know some of the story. I don't know all of it, I'm sure. And I'm really excited, to, not in, in a non-psychotic <laughs> way. I'm excited to hear you talk about your life and all the things that make you feel sad. <laughs> um, so so ja- Jamie is a wonderful person. And I'm going to give her some props for a second because Jamie is Jamie's very caring. She's a cool person. She's got a big heart in a lot of ways. And I'm going to try to get her emotional before she starts talking. <laughs> oh, my God, Corey. I'm sitting here pouting. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, I'll have you go ahead, Jamie. Take it away when you're ready. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, where where do I start? How do I start uh, as far as giving you guys kind of an understanding of? of it was of- a cold and blustery October 7th, 18th, <laughs> October 18th. Yeah, you know, I, I I actually think it was warm out the day I was born. To start, I I, I will I'm going to tell my story about uh, losing my mother and Corey and I essentially we became friends and we learned thereafter that we had this commonality. Um, and it's rare because we're both in our thirties. Um, and I I've met a few people over the years that have lost their parents, but uh, not a lot of my friends. And, um, you know, it it was one of those extra bonding points, I think, for us. Um, So I guess I'll just tell you how it happened and uh, how things have gone since. (laughs) Um, So I won't tell you what to say, but obviously you're going to talk about, you know, what happened you're going to talk about um hopefully talk about you know the grieving process of what that was like losing your mom and then talk about you know like how how your life has been defined by that grief i think but talk about whatever you want to i'm just kind mm-hmm. of like helping, helping me outline my thoughts which i appreciate because i can be all over the place so yeah. jamie you feel sad <laughs> I actually don't feel sad, which is great, um, which That's I think good. is a good a good approach to this. Um, Definitely. I think it's important to give you kind of the, a little bit of background on my childhood and um, the things that led up to my mother's passing. So um, my parents got divorced when I was eight. Uh, I was a complete mommy's girl. <laughs> Uh, you know, second grade, third grade, still crying at my desk for my mother every day. I mean, really, I was a nightmare for teachers. A great student, but uh, very soft child, okay? Which is not who I am anymore. Um, 
you know, as you said, like I am a caring person, but I've, I'm not, I like to think I'm not as soft as I used to be <laughs> sensitive, if you will. Um, so, uh, we were, you know, I was really close to my mother and my father worked, um, you know, all sorts of crazy hours. So we, um, didn't really have a relationship. I really was attached to my mother. Um, and so when they got divorced, I stayed living with my mother. I saw my father Friday nights, you know, he'd pick me up after work. We'd eat dinner together. I'd go to bed and then he dropped me off the next morning. Um, and I lived with my mother until I was 12. Um, one day I was going to this teen tour camp, which if you don't know what a teen tour camp is, it's basically a camp where you get to go on trips and stuff. Um, the irony is, was, I, you know, was not a teenager yet, but <laughs> that's what they called it. Uh, and I had just gotten back from a trip. Uh, it was like 1997. I remember because I went to the 97 Olympics. And uh, anyway, uh, I, I come back and normally my mother would pick me up. And I get to the camp and my aunt, my mom's twin sister, uh, who is an important part of the story, and my father are, are there to pick me up. And my, you know, father looked at me and said, you're coming to live with me. And my aunt said, we're going to go buy you new clothes. And nobody told me where mommy was. Nobody told me anything except this is what we're doing. So I said, okay. Um, you know, I was a little upset to say the least. And, uh, you know, it turns out that I still don't, honestly, I don't know the, the whole truth, but, uh, my mother was in a hospital or at least this is what I was told, a mental hospital. Uh, she was bipolar, manic, depressive, uh, amongst other health issues and, um, so she was there. Um, nowadays I start to think that maybe it was a rehab. I don't, I really don't know. Um, maybe it was a combination of both. Can um, I, can I real quick ask you, um, sure. obviously you were, you were a mama's girl. Like I was a mama's boy. Um, was, was the relationship, I mean, was, was the relationship you had with your mom, prior to this was it a stable relationship was it a healthy relationship um yeah totally uh okay. my mother you know i never really knew the extent of her issues okay. um because the only thing she really showed to me was was love and uh you know so i definitely turned a blind eye to a lot of things. I also was very, very naive. Again, I was a soft child, a very sheltered mommy's girl. I mean, really, that's what I was. That's what she <laughs> made me into a little bit, I think. Um, but again, it was, it was all with love. And so, you know, I did, I had a, I had a great relationship with her. Um, you know, really, I had a great relationship with her until she passed. Um, it's actually after she passed that things got um, more difficult. Like we never really fought, you know, a lot of mothers and daughters have a strained relationship because sometimes mothers try to live vicariously through their daughters and that 
can be tough. My mother never did that. Um, in fact, she always, um, you know, would be like, you're, you're my idol. I wish I could be more like you. I mean, those are the things she said to me. She, she was, uh, I think I am the person I am because she, despite all of her shortcomings and her faults and her issues, she never put them on me. She always just supported me, loved me. I mean, really, really, uh, was a great mother. So, um, you know, I think that's partially why I don't really know the truth because she never wanted me to see the darker sides of her. Um, you know, so, so I move in with my dad from then on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm forced to live with him, even though we don't have a relationship. He's now with my stepmother. Um, you know, they, he basically moved right in with my stepmother, uh, when my parents got divorced. Um, I don't know, like, how that happened, how long it was going on for, you know, like, these are actually things I should, I should find out. Um, especially while my stepmother is still alive. Um, important thing to note, I'm very close with my father and my stepmother now. And, uh, my stepmother unfortunately has cancer. So I think we'll be talking about grief in a lot of aspects on that side, you know, as well. Um, but back then, I didn't, I wasn't close with my father and I certainly wasn't close with my stepmother. She was a raving bitch. <laughs> and so it, that was also like a big heart, like a hard thing for me because my mother was so nice. And then I have this new woman in my life and she is not. Uh, so again, I just kind of, I was in this situation and very distraught that I was not living with my mother anymore. But you know, she called me as much as she could and uh, eventually got out of that hospital and moved in with uh, my grandparents. I was very close with my, my maternal grandparents. Um, my grandfather's birthday is the day before mine. And he and I always shared birthdays and everything. So we were really, really close. Um, and my mother was very close to them. And so, you know, I would see them occasionally and then every once in a while, my mother would disappear again. It was tough. You know, we'd make plans. I would, I was supposed to see her and then, you know, the day would come and she wouldn't be there or she'd be back in the hospital or she'd be in jail or she'd be wherever. Um, again, it's all really fuzzy because uh, everybody wanted to protect me. My father, my mother's twin who never had children. So essentially a, a very close second mother to me, uh, especially since they look exactly alike. It, it was just, it was all a little confusing, but as I've said, even through all of these things, my mother always just showed me love, you know? And, um, so she, like I said, she lives with my grandparents for a while, which I don't think was a great move, uh, because she, you know, had to watch them die and take care of them. And you don't, you don't do that to a sick person. Um, and I say sick in the, in, in, in the sense of mentally, yeah. um, ill, you know, 
I, I don't think it was the right move for my family to have her have to have that stress while trying to heal. Um, you know, and I, I, there's a little bit of resentment there. Um, but at the same time, I think my mother, you know, now as an adult and knowing a lot of people who, um, are addicts, uh, and also people who suffer from mental illness on top of addiction, um, you know, I get the other side of it of, it's a burden. It's a big burden. It's really hard to be the person who has to love somebody who can't get past their demons um, Mm -hmm. and watch them and watch them die as well. So it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack with that. And I hope that, you know, um, anybody who's listening, uh, you know, these are topics that we're going to talk about and there's so much grief and loss associated with, with these things. So, you know, I I would love to hear people's opinions and and perspectives and experiences um, down the line, Uh, throwing that out there. (laughs) It's, it's a really layered process too, because your mom, I can only imagine um, was trying to overcome her own demons and trying to, I mean, obviously, she in, in a lot of ways she had her own grief because she was grieving um, a marriage that was lost. She was grieving um, a relationship with you that was now altered, and then grieving like all these different life changes and trying to 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 stabilize herself in a, in a in a mental state that was not conducive towards towards um, something stable. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, fast forward some years, uh, of her, you know, like I said, in and out of rehabs, mental hospitals, jail, um, which is something I learned recently. (laughs) I'm 36, uh, (laughs) and still learning, you know, and still like, it's really, it's very interesting. Um, once somebody passes, uh, the people that reach out to you, um, and the people I still have not spoken to, um, and don't feel ready to speak to, but eventually I'm going to like her friends, um, that she was with, you know, ultimately when she passed the people that she was spending time with who I don't want to talk to because I, a lot of me feels like they contributed. They were her partners in crime. But again, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't really know. So I, I should probably eventually be a little bit uh, open-minded to it, maybe uh, down the road. When you're ready, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, like I, I, I'm still learning things. Like I'm, you know, I, I talked to a cousin of ours, my mother's first cousin, who I'm also close with. Um, and, you know, she was like, oh yeah, your mom was doing crack. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you know, just like these things that like, you know, I can't relate because I'm super straight laced and I take care of myself and I've lived on my own for 10 plus years. And, you know, I I work my ass off and I I don't ask for anything. And, and, you know, I can't imagine that feeling as bad as she must've felt to turn to things like that, especially Mm -hmm. when she had a child who she loved more than anything. And, and I can attest to that. Um, I mean, obviously the way she treated me, 
you know, showed it. She, she really, there was no question that how much she loved me, um, you know, and, and how much she tried to be okay for me. But, um, you know, I really can't relate to that. Like nothing in the world to me is, is worth jeopardizing my life. Um, you know, like no amount of sadness, um, that would lead me to something like that. So there's, there's that piece of it. That's very hard to grapple with. Um, but anyway, uh, let me get back to the timeline. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's, I don't, I can't, I couldn't tell you the year Two. Yeah, no, I can. Uh, 2002. Um, my mom is at this point mostly stable. She, um, I grew up on Long Island, New York, and, um, my mother moved up to Albany like a year or two before that with a boyfriend that she had. And she was, you know, doing fine, uh, as far as like, not in jail, not in rehab, not anywhere, just, you know, she worked at a diner, she was a waitress, she was with this guy, she had her friends, and she was just doing her thing. And as far as I knew, she was fine. Um, and, and just so, you know, if you don't know the geography of New York, uh, Albany, New York, from where I lived on Long Island, was about three and a half hours away. So um, we talked every day, though. We talked every single day. And, um, you know, she was the first person I called when I got out of school and whatever, and everything was good. And so I'm looking into colleges and I decide, um, I'm going to go to SUNY Albany, uh, because my mother is there and I want to be near my mother and, um, she's happy and that's, you know, that was important to me. So, um, I actually, you know, went to that school for about a year and a half. <laughs> I wanted to be a graphic designer. They definitely did not offer that as a major. And uh, I uh, I was there for a year and a half. It was cold. I hated it there. Uh, academically, it was a great school, but I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy being there. And so um, I got that feeling of being able to be near my mother again after all those years. I mean, think about it. I was 12 when I moved in with my father. And I hadn't lived with her or technically near her in all those years. So like six years. So do you, did you feel really conflicted at that point with that? I mean, because you have the relationship with your mom, kind of what it used to like, like reestablished, but then you're also like, I'm, I'm not happy where I am. So it's probably a bit of a head struggle. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but I knew I couldn't stay at that school. Um, <laughs> and after my roommate tried to kill herself, um, I decided I'm, I'm out of here. Um, and that's something we can definitely talk about down the line. I think we need a whole episode on, on, on suicide, maybe several episodes. <laughs> um, Cause that's a really important topic. And it's one very, very, very relevant to your life. We won't, we won't tell all the yes. stories today, but. but yes, but yes, it, it's been, it's been very relevant in so many ways. Um, and so, yeah, it was tough. It was tough to have to, to leave, but, um, I really hated it. <laughs> I really hated it there. And I, I knew that even if I moved away, I would still be able to go see my mother or she would come see me or we, you know, we would just talk every day and that was, that was good enough for me. Um, 
you know, some people really need to see people every day. And that's, I am more of like, if I know that you're around and we can talk, then I'm good. And like, I could not see you for years. And it's not because I don't love you, but it's just, it's just okay for me. Um, I, maybe it comes from being an only child and being used to being alone a lot. Um, that I'm not as like physically codependent. Who knows? Anyway, not going to analyze that. So I move home um, and my mother and I talk every day and she's mostly okay. I got a couple of calls, you know, she would call me and be like, oh, we got in a car accident, her and her friend that she lived with. Um, or she would tell me, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I just kind of, there was nothing I could do about it. Um, or at least that's how I felt. Uh, but I knew that things weren't perfect or even really that okay. Um, also, her diner burned down um, and her boyfriend died and her dog died. So a lot of things happened to her <laughs> on top of her own stuff. But like that, all those three things happened. I could tell that things weren't great, but I, I kind of just, you know, I was trying, I was in college and dating and whatever um and so over the the next few years um she comes down to see me a couple of times and she's not as healthy as she was she's very overweight she moves really slowly um we went out to dinner with my friends and she fell asleep sitting up at dinner and and that's when i i knew She's not okay, but I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, I had a two bedroom apartment at the time, but I felt like, you know, I was maybe 29 years old now. And I just felt like I can't possibly take on caring for her. Financially, I couldn't. Having her in my house and worrying about what she was gonna do, who she was gonna bring by, I just wasn't, I felt like that was going to ruin my life. It's interesting that you're talking about this because you talked about how your mom became your grandparents' caretaker, you know, and it's interesting to see the differences in, in, in both of your like situations because it almost, it was, you know, it was almost paralleled in a way, but um, you knew you were, you were mentally, I don't want to, Sound a little but mentally, mentally with it enough to know your limitations. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it was a tough decision, you know, because I wanted her to be okay, but I was also very mad. <laughs> um, and so, you know, this is kind of where things like this is where things really start to happen and I I get a phone call from her so she was living with her friend uh Sue and just like her best friend whatever and I get a phone call from her son and he goes you know your mother can't live with my mother anymore and then he starts telling me why and you know my mother was if you've ever known anybody with addiction issues, with mental health issues, um, sometimes, you know, 
they can be very manipulative and and they're great liars um you know and i am sorry to generalize but it's been a very prominent experience for me and so you know i would talk to my mother and like i mean the woman never even slurred her words but once i mean literally in all these years i only remember one time talking to her i was like that she sounds like she's not sober um but other than that you know and the time well obviously i knew she wasn't okay when she fell asleep at the table in front of my friends she wasn't violent she wasn't mean she wasn't you know anything like that she just he starts to tell me like what's going on and he's like yeah you know they've they've crashed multiple cars and you know i knew they they had gotten in, in a car accident or two but there's also deer up there and that's what my mother told me she hit a deer you know, and, and when you're so blinded by the love for your parent who, you know, cherishes you and you cherish them, like you, you just take what they say at face value um, and you don't question it. And I didn't. Um, so I didn't question any of the things she told me. But then, you know, he's telling me, well, yeah, no, like they've they've gotten in these car accidents so they could get pills. Um, they've faked falls so they could go to the hospital and get pills. Um, yeah, it was a really big, big problem. And I'm not saying I didn't know completely, but I didn't know to, to, to what extent. So did, did that, you mentioned that you, you had some anger earlier, like you're mad. Did that just, did, did it, when... When it com- compounded, was did it manifest as anger? Did it? How, how did it take form? So yeah, so this is when I start to get mad, right? When he's telling me all this, and I'm realizing like I've been lied to, and you know, this is going to jeopardize everything I've worked for, everything I've done. If I have to take her in and whatever, and you know, I'm an only child. Um, I made enough money to, you know pay for my own apartment and whatever, but I didn't have extra money to take care of a parent at 29 years old. Um, you know, my, my aunt, uh, her, my mom's twin sister has MS and lupus and is sick and couldn't help. My grandparents were now passed. Um, and my father certainly wasn't going to help. So I just felt like, well, what do I do? You know, what am I supposed to do? And like, I was so mad because she never got a call saying I was in jail. She never got a call that, you know, I even was in detention. You know what I mean? Like I was and still am a very straight laced good kid. And so I just was like the injustice of it, you know, really got me. And I was really freaking mad. That's one thing too that, that differentiates between, I think our situations with, with our families and processing um, the unexpected about our lives is that it's, it's looking at the support network you have, you know, because I mean, um, you had your, your dad to an extent and your, and, um, your stepmom and everything, but still that relationship you know, that had its ups and downs and everything. But yeah, you're, you're trying to, uh, well, me, I had somebody who I had, I had a family who's all going through this together. You kind of were this, this, the unique perspective in your family that you didn't couldn't really lean on anybody for. 
Right. Exactly. You know, like I, you know, yes, we've both lost our mothers, but it's such a different thing. And, you know, like I feel for you in that you had to, you knew, you know, you knew and she knew um, that, that she was going to pass your mother where I kind of always knew and especially in those last few years, like I, I mean, in my head, like I had it in my head, like she's going to die in the next five years. Like I just knew it um, in a weird way, you know, but like there was nothing like, it's not like she had a disease or something. I mean, she did. She did. Um, but you know what I mean? It wasn't like, a, it wasn't cancer. It wasn't, you know what I mean? So I didn't really expect her to die but I kind of just had this feeling. Um, so it was kind of crazy, but yeah, you know, the, like I feel for you and that you, you all knew it was coming and you had to watch it and like watch her decline. Um, whereas my mother's death, death honestly was a, was a big shock. So like a, a huge shock because, so I got that call from her friend's son a week before she died. So I'm pretty pissed off. At the same time, I forget what she had. She had surgery on something and she was actually in a physical rehab while this was going on. So she was in like a rehab, like for her surgery, like, you know, like, you know, getting back on her feet, getting back to walking. So like a week later, my friends, I'm, I'm living in Florida. My friends come down from New York and we're spending a few days here in my town. And then we were going to go to the Keys. Uh, because my friend's dad lives in the Keys, and so that was the plan. And like the day before they come, I, I got a phone call from the rehab where my mother was, and it's the social worker, and she's like, you know, um, I just wanted to like make you aware of something. Like, I found your mother, you know, neatly on the floor with her call button, and I, you know, I said to this woman, I said don't even finish that sentence. <laughs> um, I said, she didn't fall. Can you please tell me who she's seeing? Is she being monitored? Do you know what pills she has? If people are coming there, they're definitely giving her stuff. Are you guys checking her blood? Like, how is any of this working? So I'm just like, you know, after getting that other phone call and then getting this phone call, I'm like really furious. And I'm talking to this social worker and I'm like, listen, this is my situation. I can't, I can't do this. I can't take her on. Like, can she go to assisted living? You know, does she qualify for that? You know, cause she was on disability. Um, you know, as soon as she found out that she could go on disability for mental illness, she milked the shit out of that. And, um, you know, especially after her diner burned down and everything, you know, the things that she lived for were now gone. I wasn't living up there anymore. I mean, I, I can understand how hard all of that must have been for her. But yeah, you know, I'm talking to this woman and I'm like, well, listen, like, you know, she is bipolar manic depressive, you know, can we get her into, into, um, you know, a mental institution? Can we get her into a rehab? Like clearly she needs rehab. You, you called me because you're telling me something that you're not really supposed to be telling me. Um, but I hear, I hear exactly what you're saying and, you know, how do we, what do we do about this? And then the woman tells me, well, you know, unless two doctors say she's not of sound mind, which again, as a, you know, as an addict, she was really good at 
being who she needed to be when she needed to be that person. You know, that's how she fooled me for so many years. She'd pick up the phone and she'd be like, hi, my darling, how are you? Like normal. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to see too. So, you know, it, it, there's that part of it too. Um, and she wasn't necessarily lying. She like, you know what I mean? She just, she didn't want to be a burden on me either. Um, and I'll get to how I know for certain that's what she felt. Um, anyway, the woman basically was like, no, like she's fine essentially. And, uh, there's no, there's no options. Um, you know, maybe assisted living, but she was, she was only 59, I think 59 or 60s, I think 59. Um, so, you know, it just, it was a really hard situation. So I'm now really mad. This is where, this is probably where I start to cry. <laughs> it's so hard to process. And I, I've never had somebody in my family who's, who's been so mentally, um, mentally the state, you know, and people I have, but I've, they've been an extended family. So there, there's gotta be like a lot going through your head right now, because I mean, are you, are you the type to, to, to blame yourself to any extent? What's what happened? I mean, were you thinking like, you know, was I, were, were you thinking you were being too selfish? Were you, because obviously it wasn't your fault, but did you have some issues of guilt and? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, especially with what I'm about to say. So, um, she texted me the night before she died, and this was the the same night that I had gotten this, you know, call from the social worker. My friends are in town. I'm having to entertain. And, you know, but I have this shit weighing on the back of my mind of like, what the fuck am I going to do with my mother? You know, meanwhile, like we're going to my friend's parents' house who have a beautiful house in the Keys, their vacation home, you know, and I'm like, why can't I have a fucking normal life? You know, so yeah, I'm like really mad. And she texts me and tells me she loves me and I'm mad. You know, and this is like kind of, you hear this in movies and you hear these things and, you know, and it, but it does happen. And I, I didn't, I didn't respond because I was really mad. You know, the next day, this, the social worker calls me and I'm thinking, okay, she, maybe she's calling me. She's got a solution. She's going to help me. And then she tells me that she had a heart attack. <laughs> you know, and part of me wonders if, you know, I stressed her in some way. But the likelihood of that is is not it's not likely. Um, you know, she she was in this rehab. She had I don't I honestly I can't even remember like what the issue was. And again, I don't really know because I hadn't even seen her physically in person for several years. Yeah. Because uh, she kept telling me I'm going to come see you. I'm going to come see you. Um, I just want to like you know. She had really fucked up teeth, probably from all the drugs she did over the years. And um, so she was like, I just, I'm, I'm waiting to get my teeth fixed. I, I don't want to come down there again and see your friends. And, you know, without looking okay, um, really, I think she was sheltering me from how sick she really was um, yeah. physically, mentally, addiction-wise. 
Um, you know, so, but she was there. What they think happened is that she maybe had a blood clot and that it traveled to her heart, but um, she chose to be DNR. And that's why I think that, you know, she, um, you know, didn't want to be a burden on me. And that's why she chose that because she knew that if she stayed alive, she, she, she would be a nightmare. <laughs> and, um, you know, so yeah, I've got a lot of guilt, um, for that. And, you know, after I found out, of course, I responded and was very upset. There's also, you know, I had to call my aunt, uh, and tell her, you know, it's her twin sister. Um, but, you know, there is a positive part of the story is that apparently they talked the night before and she was very happy. Um, and it was probably after I had not responded to her. Um, but their conversation <laughs> was a really fucking cute. Sorry, part of my language. Um, All good. <laughs> but they, uh, my mother was so funny like such a funny person I mean really a personality like everybody like we would call her the mayor of her town because like she just everybody knew her like she and she was that way my child my whole childhood like she was class mom every year I mean like it's crazy like I think it's still crazy for me to grapple with the fact that she was an addict because she always showed up for everything for the most part <laughs> there are definitely times where I was like I don't know where she is and that was very hard for me you know, um, but like when she needed to get her shit together and get herself together, she, she did, she really did. And then I was, I was so lucky, you know, like she really, really like did all of the things, you know, like a really wonderful, loving mother. So anyway, um, their, their, uh, their conversation was adorable and my mother like made a joke about how she's like trying to get in shape and she was lifting like these one pound weights. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like that's, that's what my aunt relays to me about her last conversation with her. So that, you know, we, we talk about hope in these times of just absolute despair. Um, and and they do exist, you know. Uh, so so yeah, so that that's kind of uh, what how how things happened, how she passed, and you know. So moving forward, and 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 where I'm at now. Real, real quick, before you get into that, I, I I'm I don't want to dictate the conversation, but um, I I kind of want to talk about the grief process. Yeah, well, that's. Yes, and that's exactly what I was going to kind of go through as far as how I got to where I am today, but how it was in those first days. <laughs> yeah, one thing I want to say though, real quick um, before you jump into that is um, I, I, I don't I, – I, I'm hearing everything. I, I don't have the words to always uh, say what I need to, to – and I um, – I don't want to be one of those people that says, can I say this thing to make you feel better? But 
um, your mom loved you. And what's really amazing is that your mom, she, she for lack of a better word, in a lot of ways, she did not have the emotional duct tape she needed to, <laughs> um, to, to, yeah. to be everything you needed. But from what it sounds like, she, she worked her ass off to, to give you a really good life and give you good memories. And even the fact that she, she had a DNR at the end meant that she was trying to protect you from all these amazing things. So, um, she, she obviously was unwell, but she was well enough to know, I, I can't screw Jamie up. I, yeah. <laughs> in, her, in, her, in her mind, she probably already yes. thought she was a terrible parent, but, um, I, I could have, I could see your life have go have having gone a whole different direction. And, um, it may have been like my situation where my, where my dad, um, I just, I, I can't be around him. Um, uh, even to this day, but like your mom, I mean, she, she was fighting for you, um, in all the best ways that she knew how. And even if her, her victory wasn't, wasn't in overcoming her, her problems, um, her victory was giving you a chance to live your life and, and live something quote unquote normal. Um, and I, I think that's really special. Yeah, no, I, uh, I absolutely agree. You know, um, I'm very grateful, uh, you know, for that. And, and, that, and, and, you know, I guess to segue into the, the grieving process that is still happening, um, <laughs> there is a sense of relief, which I think is also part of the guilt, <laughs> um, in that, like, I didn't have to, have any more surprises you know I didn't have to get married and worry that she wasn't going to show up um but at the same time I hate that she's not going to be there if and when I ever get married you know it's like it's it's, it's a two it's a twofold thing it's 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 part you know relief um it's also relief for her um because she was she suffered so badly and you know, I hated that for her. Um, and to know that she doesn't have that pain anymore, physically, mentally, you know, that's, that's huge because it was something that I would have, you know, done anything to take away from her. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So what happened after was pretty wild. Um, so, you know, I get this phone call. My friends are there. They, like, had just gotten here <laughs> from New York. And, like, we were going out to dinner. <laughs> and I, you know, my friend, my one friend had met her, you know. Like, she was always involved with my friends. My friends loved her. My mom was the cool mom, right? Like, you know, she, she was the mom that like, she loved music. Um, so she was always knew about all our stuff. She took me to my first concert. Like she was super involved. Like she was the one who let me like dye my hair. She took me for my first tattoo. Um, you know, she, she, you know, was the mom that everybody loved because 
we my friends could do drugs in our house. I didn't do them. That was the, that was the craziest thing is that like I didn't do anything. I didn't drink or do drugs until I was like twenty-three, twenty-four. That's when I started doing anything like that. I think from watching and knowing subconsciously that it, it was her thing and, and, and I didn't I, I wanted to be in control and be responsible. But my friends loved her because, you know, she'd be like, her, her famous line was like, I've done every drug on the table. <laughs> you know? and it's like, oh, you know, my friend's like, oh, your mom's so cool. I'm like, yeah, despite that, like she was cool. Um, so anyway, I tell my friends, I don't think anybody really knew how to react. Mm-hmm. You know, my two friends that were there. Um, I was also dating somebody at the time and we were going to meet my other Florida friends for dinner. So being the person that I am, I cry, I go in my room, I call my aunt. Um, calling my aunt was, I think, one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, more than even getting that phone call. It was like hearing, you know, she just lost her twin sister. And again, she had a great conversation with her the night before. We, we didn't expect for her to die and hearing her break down was just so painful you know and, and, and me being a young kid having you know a, a kid I say 29 years old not super young but you know having to be the adults and make all the phone calls and make that phone call it was it was terrible um so uh anyway (laughs) uh I do everything I'm supposed to do you know my mother was still in Albany and she wanted to be cremated uh I knew that much (laughs) I had no idea she had that DNR but I did know that like you know she always like joked around like just 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 cremate me throw me in the ocean do whatever like you know she she really didn't she was very funny and she really didn't she was very easygoing. Um, so I knew that there was nothing I could really do at that moment. You know, it was evening in January um, of 2014. And so I took a shower and I got ready and I went out to dinner. And uh, needless to say, I couldn't eat. <laughs> uh, but I just kind of put on a brave face for my, my friends and tried to show my friends a good time. The next day we drove to the Keys. It was a, that was a really interesting experience because my best friend was dating somebody who was in Australia at the time, or my, my, my friend that I was there with. And apparently he was posting pictures with other girls on Facebook or something because he was like filming something. He was posting, whatever. I don't know, who knows if he was even cheating on her. I don't know. But this girl literally cried the entire time we were in the Keys. And I just lost my mother and I didn't want to burden her. So I didn't cry at all. And she kept me up at night crying over him. And I'm just like. Was, was, it, was it hard to put on that face? Was, were you able to compartmentalize um, your emotions? I am really good at compartmentalizing and like just very practical. like what do I have to do to get to from here to here, you know? And so 
I wanted to cry and I was sad, but it was also like, what else am I supposed to do? Like, you know, like, and then this was like, I, I had lost people before, but you know, people were like, Oh, are you eating? Are you do you, what do you need? And then I was like, I had to respond and be like, I'm in the keys, <laughs> you know, like I wasn't, I don't know if I was necessarily avoiding it. I just was like, my mother wouldn't want me to not go. Sure. I wasn't going to just be home and crying in my bed all day. Like I had yeah. things I had to do and it was not a, for lack of grief. It was just, I had to keep going. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, something that I really want to kind of, uh, you know, convey, uh, is that like, these are, however you, you grieve, you grieve. And for me, it was, I keep going for other people. It's isolation for weeks, you know, and that's either way is fine. Yeah. You know, but I definitely, I think grappled with the fact that everybody kept not everybody, uh, but a lot of people were like, you know, what do you need? Or I can't believe you're doing this, or I can't believe you're out, or you can't believe you're whatever. And that's what messed me up, <laughs> I think, after all of this, is that I was like questioning myself, like, am I doing something wrong in this grieving process? Yeah. Um, and then it was also the people that I wanted to support me, like my best friends, mm-hmm. were like, didn't even reach out to me, didn't send flowers, didn't ask me if I needed anything. And then people I didn't expect were amazing and still amazing, (laughs) you know? So that's something we we definitely could, you know, get off on a tangent about sometime. But um, I would love to hear from you too about like that kind of experience and, and what you've experienced in, in loss and, uh, the way you were treated by yeah, other people. <laughs> there, there, there's no wrong way to to grieve, um, because we're we're each individuals, and there, there's no there's no textbook. You know how to grieve 101. Um, you know what what you did was the way you reacted, the way you responded to things was completely was was how you did it and that nothing wrong with that you know there's um and even now like you're letting yourself be emotionally letting yourself cry in a podcast and that's beautiful <laughs> yes yes no, and, and no one's judging you for that so i mean well thanks you know and i and i and and so you know i'm being cognizant of of, of how long i've been going on uh but i think like I really needed to do this. <laughs> so I thank everyone uh, because I really, I really haven't cried about it. Um, you know, when every time I see my aunt, she cries and yeah. it, it's gotten exhausting for me uh, because then I fight the tears, but having just let them out now feels much better. <laughs> and I've been holding it in for a long time, you know, and I think I, was getting angry about about how she deals with it because I didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I've, you know, gotten 
a lot more resilient with time, but I've also gotten a lot more forgiving with myself. Um, you know, and that like, yeah, like I just let myself cry, you know, where normally I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm at a point where like, I recognize that it's really important. (laughs) Um, and it's totally okay. (laughs) And it's a cliche for a reason, but time heals. I mean, I, I think the thing with grief too, with loss and death is that, um, you you need to cry sometimes. I'm like, there's get to a point like where, and plus there's also external factors. I mean, so, you know, it could be the time of the year. It could be work stress. It could be the time of the year. Um, you know, your mom died actually. Now there's all these different factors and maybe today you just needed to get that release. Out. Obviously you're, there's still grief there. Um, but you also are able to process your grief with, with a more full, fuller uh, weight of knowledge of everything. And I think that's, that's important to acknowledge too, that that you're still grieving, but you're able to, to let that grief happen and manifest itself and not, and, but still also kind of take in all the other factors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I felt, I feel safe, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I think, honestly, I'm glad talking about this went the way it did because, um, I really want our listeners to know that, like, we started this because we've been through things and we want others to feel safe and loved and supported in in what they're going through, no matter what it is. So (laughs) if I can't open up and and do that, then like, how can I expect others to? So, um, you know, thank you, Corey, for making me feel, feel safe in this. And also, um, you know, I just want I want that for it for for others as well. Well, yeah, that's it's important. I, I love you, Jamie. I hope you know that. <laughs> I love you too. Um, thank you for telling the story. It's it's not easy to dig Thanks. into. It was a long one. It was a long one. There's a lot of you know background and things that you know build up to it. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's hard to go to dig into the darkness. Um, but if we just let the darkness settle, if we don't try to keep bringing the light to the darkness, um, it, it, it stays dark and it stays hidden and it doesn't do any, any good just sitting there in the darkness. So um, now everybody you've, you've heard our stories, you've heard Jamie and I stories about, um, about grief and our situations and Starting next week, we're going to start talking to um, friends and new friends we're making uh, and have made about their grief stories. And if through this you feel impacted, feel free to reach out to us. Um, Our contact information will be available um, with the podcast site and everything. And um, just know you're not alone. Know, Know that grief is okay, that grief is inevitable, and 
we got your back. Absolutely. (laughs) Be safe, be well, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.